Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Football Social Daily. This is Football Social Daily flying into the week like an Eric Cantona kung fu kick. I'm Jim Salverson and as always, as we kick off the week, there is loads to talk about on today's podcast. We've got Manchester United resurgence and on the hunt for silverware in the FA Cup, whilst arch rivals Liverpool teeter on the brink of crisis. We'll be looking back at the biggest games from a weekend of FA Cup action and ahead as well to tonight's game between Derby County and West Ham to wrap up the fourth round of the oldest competition in the world. There's also 48 hours left of the transfer window and finally we'll begin to see a little bit of action. Anthony Gordon has packed up his bags and swapped Liverpool for the North East, whilst John Joe Shelby, he's off to the Midlands to make room. And there's also gossip concerning Arsenal, Brighton and Tottenham, who are looking at potential deals before the window slams shut. To run rule over all of that in the Football Social Daily studio, Right, so it was Wrestling Royal Rumble last night, so I thought I'd do the intros in a Wrestling Royal Rumble style. So are you ready for this? Go on then. In the black and white corner, weighing in at 190 pounds and towering at four foot six, it's Marley, the moaning magpie Anderson. Wow. I knew I was going to hate this feature just as soon as you said it. then not only have you done it in a boxing style rather than wrestling because they don't it's even different. get announced. It's all fighting, isn't it? Right, next uh, one. Oh. In the red corner, at 25 pounds and 7 foot 12 inches, it's Joel, the porn pulveriser Judah. <laughs> 25 pounds? Is that just the prawns I'm carrying yeah, you're quite, or what? You're quite slim, aren't you? 25 pounds, quite tall. I thought right. it made sense. I mean, anyway, maybe that. did That's... that sound like prawns or did it sound like porn? Because <laughs> well, <laughs> I've seen Joel's browsing history both apply. Right, that is it. That's the intro's done. Joel and Marley on today's podcast and we're going to start in the traditional Monday way that we normally start with a good old moan get in the sea something that has got our goats over the weekend's action marley as you're the moaning magpie you can go first what are you going to whinge about uh there was one little th- i didn't watch that much football this weekend because when newcastle go out of cups which is pretty often um i tend to to stay away from from football a little bit and just think, ah, oh, it's a nice little weekend off there. I won't watch anything. Well, the FA Cup review in a bit is going to be good. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I always, well, I always do though. So I still ended up watching most, like you can't go on Twitter without seeing most of it. So I watched a little bit of the Liverpool game mm. uh, at the weekend and I just happened to, to put it on just as Fabinho came on the pitch. And then uh, two minutes later, he goes through Evan Ferguson, like a bad curry goes through you on a Friday night. <laughs> Um, and somehow he doesn't get sent off for it. I don't understand this. I don't understand. I mean, I know we talk about VAR a lot, but, you know, I don't understand how that isn't given. He he goes through him, then he goes down, looks at the ref and sort of smiles and goes, ha sorry, like, I didn't mean that. And I, I don't think he meant it to happen how it did, mm. but that's not the point. If it happens and you get a full you know, a full foot in the back of uh, like the Achilles area of Evan Ferguson. You know, that's a sending off in in any game at any level. It's it's a sending off, um, and I do not know why it wasn't given. Don't know why it wasn't upgraded. I think the referee gives a yellow card because he can then upgrade it if he's told to by the powers above and those nerds in the truck. But it well, it doesn't happen. The, there's been a, a change to VAR over the last two weeks. I think. 
where there's less being referred to VAR. And it's very much being used in terms of clear and obvious errors now. So I guess the... Well, that was definitely a clear and obvious error, though, wasn't it? Yeah, it took his Achilles off, didn't he, yeah. that tackle? And it's 1-1. There's, what, 15 minutes to go. Mm. It should have altered the, the course of the game. I mean, justice was done in the end with Matoma scoring the goal at the end. But uh, there was that, and there was the Canate one as well that they got away with. That one was a bit more ambiguous, but this one was, was clear as day. It was clear red card. Uh, I think Fabinho knew it as well. You could see by by his face the, the facial expressions he was pulling um, was very much like a, a school kid that had, you know, nicked something from the canteen and, and, and was looking to see if he got away with it. So mm. it was uh, just more bad officiating. Seems to be what we're talking about every single week. I know. I try to bring something different, but it it's just always there, isn't it? <laughs> I do wonder whether there's podcasts in another part of the world. Like, is there a French football podcast talking about legal shrugging their Gaelic shoulders and kind of <laughs> complaining about the standard of refereeing there Definitely. as well? Definitely. It's just a, a problem across football rather than maybe it's the, in the one Premier thing League. that brings football fans together from around the world. How no. bad are your referees? As <laughs> a terrible, as a worse than yours. I right. think there's been fights, <laughs> fights about it. <laughs> referees again in the sea. Not VAR this week. But referees instead. Joel, what are you put in the sea? Mine's going to be Moises Casado's statement that he put out over the weekend. Oh. And I have so many gripes with it. We're going to talk more about this a little bit later when we get on to transfer gossip, I think. But uh, we'll talk about hear me out. This is this just the, the basis of it. So if anyone who doesn't know, he's been in the middle of a bit of a tug of war between, again, Chelsea and Arsenal for another player. Uh, they've had a 70 mil bid rejected just yesterday. And it just seems like there's a complete roadblock in terms of getting him. First of all, I just want to say, how do Brighton go about losing Kukurea, Basuma, Mope, Mwepu and still absolutely demolish mm. every team in the league? I, honestly, I, I don't know what kind of substance they've got going on at that club, but it is working. Um, but yeah, with, with Brighton, they have to make their money work so much harder than every other team in the league because, I mean, look at the situation at the moment. They just get their best players pinched so easily and they don't have the fortunes to actually just go and buy who they want. But when you see the likes of, for example, Shuameni go for a similar price and he was way more accomplished than what Casado is at the moment, that's why you realise Brighton are absolutely in the right in terms of the way they've done it. And I just think for someone who is only 21, I know he mentioned he's from Santo Domingo, with Domingo, which is a really poor area in Ecuador, and I understand his point of view, which is that I think he says something along the lines of he's got 10 siblings and basically he wants a payday now. The bottom line is he's only 21 years old and he's only been at Brighton for one year. Surely, and I always say this in football, the cream always rises to the top in terms of if you are a good player, regardless of when you decide to leave, you'll be a wanted man. And the fact that he's just beginning to rise now, he will have that opportunity in the summer to get a massive move. And I just don't see the rush in wanting to do it because if he stays, they'll probably offer him an improved contract anyway just to say, give us six more months because they're on the on the cusp of potential European mm. qualification. I guess if you're a player, though, why would you? Why would you wait six months when you know you can earn X amount more now, have the potential to win trophies now, and you don't know when you're going to get an injury? Like, he could break his ankle or do whatever within the next weeks that will rule him out for years, potentially, or even ruin his career. So does he owe Brighton anything, really, in terms of hanging on? Well, I... The only thing that is owed is a contract, and that's about it in football. And even mm. then, it doesn't really mean too much. But Brighton are in the hot seat in this situation because Arsenal have left it very, very late. I think if they would have contacted them on January the 1st, maybe there might have been a bit of leeway. But the, the situation is that Brighton are so close to potentially European qualification, and that's why they're so firm in the stance, which is why should we do all of this hard work, all of this amazing recruitment, just to bow down to all of the better teams in the league. Because, let's face it, 70, 80 million to Brighton, although it's a huge amount, it's not the end of the world for them because if he goes, they'll buy someone who is just as good. I think they've just bought someone, a Norwegian kid uh, from, I can't remember who he was, a club in Stockholm potentially, and he'll end up becoming a 60 million player next year, I'm guaranteeing it. Done well to find a Norwegian club in Stockholm. I mean, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) he's from Oslo, he's from Oslo, Oslo. Um, (laughs) 
So yeah, I just think it's <laughs> that is scouting. We've found a new city, <laughs> Atlantis. Um, so yeah, I just think Benfica are basically a new reincarnation of what Brighton are at the moment, where they're just incredible scouters, incredible system, and it just feels quite mean on Brighton that they have to get pinched every single window. Mm. It is crazy that they are on the brink of European qualification, as you said, having shed so many quality players, and yeah. they're still and a manager. Yeah, as oh well. yeah, I forgot Let's about not that forget. As well. And all the, the lads upstairs, you know, the yeah. uh, the Dan Ashworth's gone, you know. Uh, I think Potter took all his coaching team with him, so literally they've been had to, scraped, haven't it, they? Yeah. It's like a house that's been stripped out, ready to yeah. to be repainted. That's what that's what it is. Still punching well above their weight. We'll talk more about Brighton in a bit when we get onto transfer gossip. Um I also want to talk well, actually I'm gonna say something that I think for my get in the sea might fly in the face of public opinion a little bit because I wanna put Wrexham in the sea and I think there's a bit of a loving Rex Ham yeah there's a loving going on with Rex Ham at the moment and I'm as guilty as everyone on this because I watched the documentary and I kind of want them to do well but I think we all need a little bit of perspective as to who they are and what they're doing and the amount of money they've had pumped into them as well because you've got to remember they're in the fifth division they're paying way over the odds in terms of wages compared to anyone else around them and they want to do that to bring success to the club which is fair enough but I do think they're getting a little bit more of the spotlight than perhaps they deserve. Because I get the romance, and I get how having a couple of Hollywood owners is pretty sexy, but it's not the biggest story in football, as it's been called. And it's not the road to the Premier League yet, because they're in Division 5 at the moment, and there's been plenty of people, plenty of rich people, and these two guys, Rob McIlroy, whatever his name McElhaney. is. McElhaney. and... Ryan Reynolds, they're both rich guys, but in footballing terms, they're not that rich. And there have been plenty of richer people than that pair being made into very poor people by football through the years. So the idea they will be a Premier League club in however many years, it could happen, yeah, but it's not necessarily a slam dunk. They seem like lovely blokes, by the way. I really like Deadpool. I think Always Sunny in Philadelphia is a brilliant TV show. So I've got nothing against them, but I do feel like the spotlight's in the wrong place. Like, why was there a Ryan Reynolds cam at the Wrexham versus Sheffield United game at the weekend. Like, there's somebody, a cameraman constantly on him. Because he's beautiful. He is a beautiful man. Maybe that's why I'm getting upset about it. I, <laughs> think, that's, I, think, this is, I think we're coming to the crux of it here, Jim. I think this is uh, this is all just jealousy coming out, to be honest. Well, my problem isn't necessarily actually that Wrexham are getting the attention because everyone likes an underdog story and there's a potential for an upset because they are a team that has had an injection of cash and have the potential to punch above their weight and knock out teams above them because that is their aspiration. My problem is where the attention is going and the fact that the attention is on the owners rather than the players. Is that not naturally though? Because it, it, it feels a little bit reminiscent of the Salford City story. Where, yeah, you know, when they played in the FA is, Cup and the cameras were on skulls and Neville. It is, but you can understand why. I mean, for a casual who's just watching BBC One and they happen to switch over and they see Ryan Reynolds in the stands. I think even my mum, she was next to me and she was like, oh, who's that Hollywood yeah. actor? I was like, oh, let me tell you all about the story of Wrexham. And then suddenly, you know, Wrexham becomes the topic of conversation. Yeah, it is and normal. I, and I do get it. I get it for that reason. Mm. I just don't like it. This is why it has to get in the sea. Because you can imagine Wrexham getting into a situation where they beat, let's say, Southampton in the FA Cup, knock out a Premier League team. I don't know if Southampton's still in the Premier, FA Cup, but they knock out a Premier League team. All the attention afterwards would be post-match interviews with Ryan Reynolds rather than the players that have performed the feat on the pitch. Mm. And I think it's a, it's kind of like slightly the wrong way around because football should always be about football. It shouldn't necessarily be about the owners. And we can't have it both ways. We can't going to go, oh, there's dodgy owner or there's owners at Newcastle United who are from who are part of Saudi Arabia and they have human rights issues but let's forget about that whilst there's the football going on and then have it the other way for Wrexham when you're going oh but they're Hollywood owners we need to pay attention to them during the match and after the match and pre-match so there we go Wrexham <laughs> get in the sea <laughs> West Ham West Ham yeah, yeah we're playing tonight we're going to talk about it in a minute because West Ham are playing Derby County we don't get Wrexham in the next round then if they go that'll through. be interesting we'll talk about that <laughs> plus we're going to pick some of the biggest games from the weekend's FA Cup action look back at Man City Arsenal Manchester United Liverpool we'll do it next on Football Social Daily
Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We are reaching the end of an FA Cup weekend. The final game of the weekend is Derby County versus West Ham. We'll look ahead to that very soon. But first, a quick review of some of the bigger games from this weekend's action, starting on Friday night when it was Manchester City versus Arsenal. One of those games I always get a bit grumpy about being on the telly because I'm like, it's the FA Cup. Surely you can put a game on the telly that we're not going to see every single weekend. But they are the two heavyweights in football at the moment. They're going toe-to-toe in the chase for the Premier League title. And this particular round was won by Man City. It was 1-0. Have we got a bit of a rivalry developing here between these two clubs? It was City versus Liverpool last season, Marley. Is this season and maybe the future all going to be about Pep versus Arteta, about City versus Arsenal? Yeah, it looks that way, doesn't it? Um, A lot of eyes on... On that, we talked about it on Friday. Like, who's gonna keep the sort of mind games going? Mm. Who's gonna kick them off? Are they gonna play a strong team and stuff like that? And uh, it turns out that City went for it, and Arsenal pulled back a little bit. Um, that was interesting in itself. I think if the game was at Arsenal, you'd have probably seen uh, Arsenal go for it a bit more um, and try and get a sort of psychological boost ahead of the the two Premier League games that are coming up, but. I don't think we learnt that much. To be fair, I think uh, the game wasn't wasn't brilliant. Brilliant. Um, I think in terms of sort of the level of football, it was it was probably third gear for for City and second for Arsenal. They, they didn't look properly like they were both going for it. Um, so it it sort of was. It did feel like something was being held back for the two league games. So that'll be where the uh, the league is is very much affected by those games. So. Do you think there was an element of playing cards close to their chest? Because yeah. these teams haven't played each other this season because the first game was cancelled, it was pushed back, so that's still got to happen. Yeah. And the FA Cup is certainly low down on the agenda for both of them. So for Arteta and Guardiola, it was kind of like, a, let's not give too much away. This isn't that important at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. I think um, we've seen that with the with the lineups and just the way the game sort of went. I think, you know, it being 1-0 was... was probably the most nailed on scoreline because you know they weren't going to both properly attack each other and expose defensive weaknesses in each other that that will then play into the the league thinking later on I think you know Arteta changed his back four he changed his goalkeeper um City pretty much only changed the goalkeeper and played pretty much a first team outside that so it was uh there was a lot of second guessing and you know I'll do this now but I'm obviously not going to do that in the league game mm. so it was a bit a uh, bit of a sort of non non event really it wasn't the most exciting of games but it was a 1-0 victory for man city it probably won't do a great deal to dent arsenal's confidence because of the nature of the game but i guess one of the positives for city is nathan ake getting in there with the goal and some praise from gradiola afterwards who said he's had I can't remember his exact term, season of his life or something along those lines. But certainly Ake's feels like he's in a bit of a resurgence at Manchester City after potentially being on his way out the door in the summer. It looks like he's now a player that City rely on, Joel. Yeah, I didn't really see it coming after they paid a good, what, £40 million for him from Bournemouth. I thought, gosh, it just seems like one of those typical City signings of trying to fill out the squad a little bit with some young quota that fills some kind of criteria or something of that kind. Um, but no, he's actually come along really well under under Guardiola and it just shows, I think it's hard to find a player who doesn't do that though. It just shows just how great of a coach he is because I mean, even when you looked at, for example, Zinchenko when he first came, I didn't think he was going to be incredible. I think mm-hmm. he had links to Wolves halfway through and he ended up becoming a really technical player and you see it with every single club that he's been at, I mean, um, uh, Lam at Bayern, he went on to go incredible in his game and he ended up becoming, I think, Guardiola's favourite player, he said, just in terms of how adaptable he was. And I just think that happens with every player. They just become way more intelligent under him. Um, and I think for Guardiola as well, just going to what Marley was saying, I have a firm opinion on the selections of the squads. And I think Arteta bottled it, to be honest. I think that... He's tried to play some kind of mental game against Guardiola where he wants to keep the momentum going and not play his strongest side because if they were to get pumped at City, I think that would have knocked a ridiculous amount of confidence from them. Mm. And the fact that he's gone weaker and and Guardiola's literally basically said, let's go toe for toe, I want to win Do everything. you think he's almost trying to protect his players? I think then, so. I, no, I, I, think, I think so because 
it, let's say they had a game this week on Wednesday, I would have said, you know what, fair enough, he's resting. They have a game on Saturday. That's the next game. So they had a whole week off. Why would you not go for the FA Cup against a really good team? So for me, I think he's really tried to protect his players, protect the momentum, try and protect the nice uh, winning mentality they've got there because I truly believe if it was a fully strength side versus a fully strength side and they got beat, I think Arteta and his side would have suffered way more than Guardiola's side. And mm. I think that's why, excuse me, I think that's why he's almost backed down a little bit. He's almost put everything into the Premier League now. And to me, that just feels like a bit of a 1-0 Guardiola, if I'm honest, in terms of the psychological advantage. Interesting. Well, let's move across Manchester and talk about Manchester United versus Reading. Two goals for Casemiro in this 3-1 win, Joel. Not really part of Casemiro's game, goal scoring, mm. but he's become he's a real linchpin so yeah. yeah. for Eric Ten Hag as well, hasn't he, in terms of that team. He's really the engine room. He's the, I mean, all the other cliches, he's the, the ticking Tick the clock, whatever it is. Yeah, we're, <laughs> yeah, hang on. It's on the floor. Here we go. Keep pressing it, keep pressing it. Anyway, he's pretty important, is what I'm trying to say. No, he is. He's almost becoming a bit of a one-man midfield, which is a little bit dangerous to say as well, because without him, as we saw at Arsenal, I mean, I've not seen a bigger hole in the middle of a field since Moses parted the Red Sea in terms of just how much room was in there. And you say... massively missed metaphor, mixed metaphor that, wasn't it? <laughs> you, see, you see the fact that, like you say, he's scoring more goals. When you looked at Real Madrid, he wasn't that influenced, influential in the final third and that's because Modric and Tony Kroos did all the work for him all he needed to do was be behind them sweep up play out from the back and that was his job mm. obviously he chipped in now and again now and again but now he's finding himself with a little bit more lack of quality next to him it's fair to say apart from Bruno who's a little bit more advanced he's got a little bit more license to roam now which is I think I didn't realize but a really big strength of his game where he has such a presence for example if it's a corner I would back him to definitely win a header like he did against Chelsea uh, when we came back in the last minute. And then obviously this game, I know it's red and I know the opposition's not great. But yeah, it's just the fact that he's really adding a different dimension that I didn't realise to our midfield and to his game as well. Do you know what you're talking about, Joel? And this is something we've not talked about for ages with Manchester United. What you're talking about is a balanced midfield where you've got players that play well together in a system which doesn't feel that complicated but it's something that United have been missing and for a no, decade yeah, this, you know this isn't rocket science is it like Man United need, have needed a defensive since midfielder Michael since Michael Carrick yeah. and, then, and then they sign Casemiro and people go oh well what about the long term he's you know he's 30, 31 he's not got anything ahead of him doesn't need to it's a short term solution for a short term problem you, you address the long term problem when you buy the next Casemiro in the next two years yeah, he need, like, needs now. You need not, it now. wait for two years. He exactly. needs someone quality, and that's what it shows. Yeah. Because imagine if we would have relied on McTominay and Fred again this season, You'd how have, bad we would have yeah. gone. Yeah. You need sometimes. I, you know, I, I, this, this this is my getting the see for next week. <laughs> when people say that when you're thirty, you're finished, or when you're thirty, you know everything goes downhill for a, a football. Probably your life. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a load of rubbish. It's really rubbish. He's probably in the prime of his life right now, well, and he probably looks after himself. As a thirty-one-year-old that's about to take up Sunday League for the first time in twelve years, I will report back next week. <laughs> I want to hear a nice match report of that, that Marley. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, yeah, he's, he's become influential. We just need someone of that similar quality next to him to then take the midfield to the next level. Because obviously, like we said, when he wasn't there against Arsenal, it was so it was so evident. So we need someone else next to him. In terms of the game itself, Marley, 25 shots on goal from Manchester United. I think Reading had three or something along those lines. The stats certainly suggest pretty much near domination, as you'd maybe expect when it's Manchester United versus a championship team. But was the game as much of a cakewalk as the stats do suggest? Uh, I have no idea, to be honest. It's one game I... Yes. You couldn't oh, have, there we go. You Joel, I'll answer. go back to Joel. You couldn't have paid me to watch that, if I'm <laughs> perfectly honest. Um, the only thing I did see was Andy Carroll's uh, masterclass in slide tackling. Mate. What, what, what bee was in his bonnet that game? And he looked like he needed to get home for a roast dinner or something. <laughs> I bet it was him. In his head, he was like, this is my opportunity to prove that I've still got it. Oh, yeah. I'm not a yeah. championship player. That I've got a Premier League and... Sometimes that over-exuberance, that over-enthusiasm boils over the wrong way, doesn't it? So the second yellow when he slid into Casemiro needlessly. Yeah, 
I mean, you, you, yeah, it's strange. I was put, I, I was uh, see, seeing that on social media and stuff, and I was trying to pause it. Like the minute, the, you know, the second Casemiro passes it, like Carol's only just in the frame. Right. <laughs> he's so delayed, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's a mile away. But there's two theories for me why Carol did that. Number one is that he's, he wears number two on his back, so he thinks he's, he's a right back <laughs> and he has to slide everyone. And number two is is what went round on Newcastle uh, United Twitter, which was that he's trying to injure Casemiro for the League Cup final next month and trying <laughs> oh, to get draw, Newcastle. Yeah, course, a, a, yeah, yeah Newcastle that would be his a, most a telling a contribution to football for years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To be fair, he's a walking yellow card. It's not. It's nothing new to see mm. him try and slide tackle, and it's definitely nothing new to see him just totally mistime the slide tackle as well. Before we move on to Brighton versus Liverpool. Just finally on Manchester United, Joel. Have you got to a point now, which is unthinkable at the beginning of the season, where it would almost be disappointing if you didn't end this season with silverware? Because you're in the FA Cup still, albeit just through the fourth round. You're edging closer to the uh, the League Cup, the Carabao Cup. And some might say there's a challenge for the Premier League title. I don't think Manchester United are in that really. But are you in a place now where the fans are going, do you know what? We could, we could get something here. We could win a trophy. Well, it's quite incredible to think that considering where we were at the start of the season. I mean, if you would have asked me that after that Brentford game when everything just seemed to be falling in on the club, I would have said you're having an absolute laugh. But in the last two months, I just can't quite believe the turnaround in terms of last season, which was the worst Manchester United Premier League side ever, statistically, the worst. And then to almost flip it around in terms of the culture of the club, the players believing in each other again, and it just feels like more of a team, then I would say to your question, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got a great um, opportunity in less than a month's time against either Newcastle or Southampton. That's a massive chance to get the first piece of silverware. In the Europa League, I'm not so confident just because Barcelona, they are probably head and shoulders, probably favourites compared to us at the moment. They've only conceded seven goals all season, which is pretty incredible. But again, FA Cup is another realistic opportunity. But what I would say is, if we do or we don't win anything this season, I don't believe it's the be-all and end-all. I don't think it's absolutely crucial. But it's great signs going into next season because we can see in the team that we're a striker away Mm -hmm. and we're a midfielder away from going all the way in all competitions next season, I think. So yeah, I think it's just the expectations are really just achieve what you can achieve. There's no real, I would say, you know, you have to win an FA Cup, you have to win a Europa League this season because let's not forget where we were about six months ago. It was dire, absolutely dire. So yeah, I'm I'm happy with how things are going and if we can win a trophy, it's just an absolute bonus. None of those options are on the table for Liverpool. They're out of the Carabao <laughs> Cup. They don't really have a chance of even finishing top four in the Premier League and they're now out of the FA Cup as well at the hands of Brighton. A late winner for Brighton, inflicted a 2-1 loss to Liverpool, dumps them out of the cup. Are Liverpool now officially, Marley, in crisis? Can we wave the big crisis flag and sound the crisis alarm? I think so, yeah. Um, They they have problems. They have big problems. I think everyone knows it. and I think Klopp realises it. Salah's been very, very quiet this year. Um, The midfield can't create, the defend can't defend. So you've you've got problems everywhere. didn't um, didn't see them winning against Brighton. Didn't see them going, you know, turning up and, and winning that game at all. Um, especially after the that's know, te- that's kind of testament to where Liverpool are and where Brighton are, though, right? The fact mm. that because I looked at that game and I same thing. In fact, I had a bet on Brighton to win it mm. because you looked at it and went, actually, mm. the mismatch yeah, wasn't. Yeah, it? there's not there's, there's not a lot between them, and if it, anything. And even Brighton the, maybe edge it. The bookies odds as well reflected that. I think. Um, Liverpool were about two to one to win the game at Brighton. Like that's that's mental. Like that's that's huge price. Um, but it's 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 the reflection of where Liverpool are. I I looked at the team before the game and I'm thinking, you know, Cody Gakpo has just came off the back of a World Cup where did he score three goals uh, in the whole competition, all from left wing? And Klopp goes and plays him as as a centre forward and keeps Nunes on the bench. I don't understand why you pay the money for him. And then you don't play him in his in his proper position. Um, it's everything's just a bit strange, you know. That uh, the the Spanish lad in midfield, that by Bi- mm. he looks okay, but 
you know, he gets booked and it kind of takes him out of the game because he's going to be scared of tackling. Uh, then he brings on Fabinho, who should have been sent off. Canate looked um, dodgy. Gomez pulls out of that tackle with uh, Mitoma at the at the uh, the winner, the the end. Gets sent for a, you know, sold a dummy and, you know, turns his back on the ball and they concede. So there's just everything going, going wrong, really. I, I'm not sure what it is. Um, I don't know whether they just lack belief now, um, because they've they've sort of there was a lot of that. I they've think. shot the load. I think to be fair, like you know, they they had a go. They got ninety seven points in a, in a Premier League season, mm. still didn't win. I think that it feels like that's weighing on the mind a bit, um, and sort of dragging them, dragging them down a little bit. I think there's a little bit of that. There's kind of a lack of self belief, and part of it's the personnel they've got, but part of it is that mentality as well. Jurgen Klopp was saying. I think it was before the game he was saying, I've not become a bad manager overnight. I was good before, so I'm good now. It's not my fault kind of stuff. But he has to take some of the blame. And because there's this cultish atmosphere around Jurgen Klopp as kind of Liverpool It's the manager, games. He's playing too many games. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always someone else's fault. But there's no questioning of him as a manager yet still as well where there should be. Because even though the, the, there hasn't been the investment that maybe he would have wanted in that squad, Joel, he should have seen the deficiencies coming. He had the option to bring in some reinforcements, Especially even if they field. weren't the big ticket players that he maybe wanted, even if it wasn't the sixty, seventy million pound players. And they've there's a hole there and there's a problems there that are at least in part Jurgen Klopp's making. I don't know just how much of the blame he takes though, because I do know that his hands are massively tied behind his back with the owners that they've got. Because we do know that, you know, their midfield is lacking so much. They could have got Matthias Nunes uh, from Sporting Lisbon and then somehow Wolves managed to get him. He would have been perfect for that Liverpool midfield. They just need a bit of quality, some injection, some energy in there. But is and it not on Klopp to say like, oh, you know, we need... <laughs> that wasn't a cliche, that wasn't by the way. Cliche. That was oh. moving the bell. <laughs> <laughs> is it not on Klopp to say we need a midfielder rather oh, surely than a, he's sixth, been at the door. a sixth forward? Like mm. everyone, we said it at the time, didn't we? Like Gakpo, fine. Great player. You don't need him. You've got Jota, you've got Nunes, you've got Salah, you've got Diaz. And if he doesn't Why like do you need it, him? if he doesn't like it, he can leave. He can I say, think, look, think... the, the club's not being running the way I want to run. I'll go and get a job elsewhere. So he has power. He's mm. wait, I think he's waiting on that, though. Um, I love how in their golden area, they've only won one Premier League. But aside from that, I think the Sadio Mane hole that has been left in that side has been absolutely massive to the extent where they've literally had to pay, you know, the likes for Nunez, the likes for uh, Diaz and uh, Gakpo. That's how much of a hole he's left. They can't replicate his influence in the side of his pressing. It just felt like Salah feels like the odd one out in that forward line now. It Mm. feels so dysfunctional where you have so many different profiles where before Salah and Mane were so on a wavelength in terms of their press, in terms of the way the attack is like inside forwards. Now you've got Gakpo who's a bit more of a... I don't really know exactly what his best position is because for, for Holland, he almost like came inside and then he drifted out a little bit. Wasn't much of a presser. He was through the middle for Brighton, wasn't he? And then Nunes kind of played out wide, which felt a little bit... It's dysfunctional. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's dysfunctional. I it guess feels it's exactly so the opposite of what we're talking about at Manchester United. It's like the lack of balance in right. the team. And before, his, his side was so balanced. Everyone had a piece in the jigsaw, which without one of them, it wouldn't work. And I think for Klopp... I believe that this ownership situation is going to dictate what happens next with him because he's been there for how long? Seven years? That's a long time for a manager. And I think if he doesn't have the energy to carry on where he's not being backed, because I'm sure he would have asked for Bellingham in the summer or the summer before that and they've not been able to afford it. And they're probably going to go for him again and they're probably not going to get him because, I mean, how much are Dortmund going to want if, for example, Casado's going for 70, 80 million? (laughs) This is the reality now. Mm. So... I'm happy with the way things are going for Liverpool and it's long overdue because they've had a, a good little crack at it. One Premier League in seven, that's not too bad, is it? We should talk about Brighton and how good they've been, but we've already done a little bit of Brighton already and we're going to talk about Brighton again when we get to the transfer gossip as well. So we'll just say Brighton, well done, deserved victory. Finally, to wrap up our look at the FA Cup games from the weekend, we're joined by Russ Budden from My Hammers 11, the podcast where Russ speaks to former players and West Ham supporting celebrities to find out their favourite ever starting 11s and he is the match day DJ at the London Stadium. How are you doing Russ? Very well, very well. Great because I haven't had 
West Ham to ruin my weekend. <laughs> That's always so, nice, isn't it? Yeah. I say you speak to ex-players and celebrities on your podcast. You've had me on it before, so you're really stretching the definition of celebrities. Yeah, it was a bit it was a bit like that week, Jim. <laughs> yes, yeah. As always. It's good fun though. It's a good fun podcast, so go and check it out. But Russ is here to talk about Derby versus West Ham. It is the final match of the FA Cup weekend. Don't know about you, Russ, but this feels like a classic West Ham potential banana skin to me. Yep, and that's why and that's why we're on ITV. <laughs> <laughs> the exact reason we are always anytime we're drawn against a team from the championship below in an FA Cup or whatever it's always we're always on telly 99% of the time because of that exact reason do you think David Moyes is going to take this one seriously though because I think West Ham always well sometimes they don't take the cup competitions as the main priority but I think amongst the fan base it's been so long since anything's been won there's just a desire for to go into these cups all gun blazing, you would hope so. Um, and I think I think we were given our sort of precarious position this season. Um, I was always in the apprehension that actually the the I mean the FA Cup to be honest, if, in terms of what we're still in, is probably the lowest priority of all three. Um, with the obviously the Premier League survival being number one, and then obviously the, the Europa Conference being number two. But um, he surprised us at the Brentford game. Um, he played a really strong side against Brentford, where we thought we may see some of the squad players, so to speak, and some of the, the kids. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he takes this quite seriously tonight and sees it as an opportunity not only to progress in the cup, but to like have some momentum going into, you know, we've got some big games coming up in the Premier League and obviously won at Everton uh, against Everton last week and a week before last. And um, it's about momentum. So I could see him taking this very seriously, which is good and bad. If we lose, then it's very bad. Um, but if it's uh, good, then that's great, you know, and we, we can keep going. I guess the flip side of that is the lack of opportunities that is sometimes provided to the young players in that West Ham squad where the FA Cup is the perfect opportunity to give them a run out and we've seen this week well it looks like Harrison Ashby is going to go off to Newcastle for three million quid really promising player from the West Ham Academy but he's seen his opportunities to progress at West Ham Limited so I guess it's a double-edged sword on one hand you want to progress in the cup competitions but on the other hand you do need to give your young players a bit of a chance to play yeah and I think that's the that, that we've had like um on the channel recently we've had probably two or three big you know sort of debate shows about the youth and how and you know we, we claim to have be the the academy of football and um and you sort of see the progression you see the people like Arish and Hashby uh, obviously moving um Pierre Quarkers went to South uh, Sunderland this this transfer mm. window as well and the likes of of Will Greenidge who's gone to Colchester on a permanent deal so yeah it's and, and I think maybe we sit in a little bubble where we think oh it's always West Ham but I think it's other clubs as well but it's just because we have always had a, a heritage of bringing players through that we assume that you know it's it's broken but I think it's I think it's actually the league that's broken rather than necessarily us mm-hmm. um, I, doesn't, I think we don't help I think Moise doesn't help but you know statistically Moise has given more uh, academy uh, players their debut than any manager we've had since the early 90s but it's not necessarily those one-off games it's how they then they progress and like something like this this game tonight you know you think uh, Divine and Barmer from the under 18s under 20 under 21s he's absolutely on fire you'd love to see him um getting some game time tonight um Ollie Skulls as well the left left wing back he, he played in the Europa Conference game and was was fantastic there as well um Freddie Potts as well they've got some we got some great players in the youngsters but I don't think it's necessarily just a West Ham issue I think it's a, a Premier League issue and I think you know the way that the under 21s and 23s are are set up doesn't help um, players come through anyway so you know unlike the old combinations league the reserve leagues where they're playing against bigger players and they're playing in the same age group so you know it's uh, it's difficult Well one of the problems that West Ham have had this season is scoring goals really dry on that front Danny Ings has come in he's instantly got injured Skamaka is injured as well how are they going to solve that tonight? Because Derby are doing all right in League One. They Great, are in League yeah. One, 19 games unbeaten. So West Ham are going to need to find some goals from somewhere. They are. And I think, uh, yeah, I think that, that's that's the only issue for me is 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 where the goals come from. Personally, I would give the, uh, as a divine, a, a start. I think he's he's earned his stripes, so to speak, in terms of playing in the, in the youth team games. Um, but I, I think Moyes is always a... a risk adverse manager so he'll stick to what he knows and so it will be probably Antonio it probably will be Jared Bowen um, and it's the definition of madness you do you do everything at the same time and he expects a different result but you know <laughs> uh, the Everton game 
you could see it's, whether it's a green shoots or a flash in the pan, but we played quite well. The Everton game, we were playing Everton, who were dire. But Antonio, I thought, played okay. Um, and I think, yeah, I think Bowen's a couple of goals to him as well. So... It's we don't know. We don't know. We'd love we'd love Divine to like come on and start and score a hat trick, but the chances are it's gonna be Antonio and we're gonna, you know, grind out a nil nil draw and a replay. On the Jared Bowen thing, because he did score two goals against Everton and David Moyes has been speaking about him before the match and he I wouldn't say he's necessarily being critical, but because of the way David Moyes is in his press conferences, he can come across a little bit negative and can come across a little bit critical at times, and he's saying that he was kind of basically, he sounded like he was blaming Jared Bowen for the poor form this season, saying he'd been distracted by England and he hadn't maybe been focusing on the club or he'd been too distracted by trying to force his way into the squad for Qatar. Do you think a lot of West Ham's form this season has been down to Jared Bowen not hitting the heights he had previously? Well, you look at his goals, his assists, that was a massive part. I mean, he hit double figures in both last season. So for me, he was critical in terms of our attacking, you know, it, the way I see it, in general, our, our play hasn't changed. You know, the way we set up has not changed in the last two and a half years, three seasons, which is a good thing and a bad thing. But it's just the, as you said, it's scoring goals. And where we, but Bowen would have scored, you know, 10 goals, Antonio 10 goals, you know, 10 assists or whatever it was for Bowen. Um, that's that's the real issue. And he's, he's critical in terms of getting that odd goal and winning the game. He hasn't... Uh, he he came back from the the summer and he wasn't the player that he left in the summer uh, in sort of May, but I just think he, it I totally understand Moyes' criticism, but I think the trouble is we've we've got you know you've got, you've got a squad and I'd say maybe three quarters of that squad two thirds haven't played to the level that they were playing last season, so it's not just him it's all of them and then you buy you know, £180 million worth of players um, and try to embed them into a side that's faltering. It's it's a recipe for disaster, really, mm. in all honesty. Russ, the game's not at home tonight. If it was, you'd be there playing the tunes. It's Derby County, yeah. obviously. If you were responsible for getting the team up for it and playing one particular anthem to <laughs> get them ready for the fight, what would you be picking? Oh, I don't know. As long as it's not nothing dowdy. No, it's to be honest, we actually did it for a while. We asked the players to pick songs that they wanted you know, that they okay. have in the dressing room. But to be honest, I think we only had to do it, we could only do it once because everything was, was just swearing. <laughs> <laughs> or or it was really weird. I think Arnautovic had a really weird sense of Austrian folk music. music. <laughs> no, it was like weird sort of like Mexican Latin oh, really? music. It was really strange. Really strange. No, I think you'd have to get something. you just got to get, um, as, as what we try and do, we always try and keep it up and pumpy. And uh, yeah, any, any, anything sort of high tempo. Anything high tempo just to try and instill some life into this side. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it becomes tougher and tougher as the season goes on, that's for sure. Russ, pleasure to speak to you as always. Uh, um, Cheers, good, enjoy the game tonight and you can find Russ's podcast, My Hammers 11 on YouTube or where you find your podcasts. For this episode of Football Social Daily, we've teamed up with NordVPN. It was nice this weekend during the FA Cup that we could sit down and watch a load of games on the telly, apart from Marley, who decided to turn off from football <laughs> from the weekend completely. But normally, it's not the case. If you haven't got a Sky or BT, or your team are playing at three o'clock on a Saturday, really frustratingly, there is no way to watch that game without going to the game itself. NordVPN have the solution. With NordVPN, you can switch your virtual location to any country that is showing whatever sports event you want, not just football, and you can watch the games that they broadcast in other countries but don't necessarily broadcast in the UK, and you can watch them live. You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash FSD and get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus four months free as well it's completely risk-free with nord's 30-day money back guarantee there's also loads of different benefits in terms of cyber security and being able to protect your devices all the details are online and like i say if you head to nordvpn.com forward slash fsd you can try it risk-free and at a discount with that 30-day money back guarantee football social daily Final bit of today's podcast, looking at the January transfer window. I never understood why it's a window, the January transfer window, because players 
a like, half window. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't seem. Well, it doesn't really seem that dignified to be crawling through a window. Like a door is a much more appropriate way to enter it's a, a window of opportunity. Uh, maybe that's it. Maybe that's the definition. But anyway, there is stuff happening. Finally, after about twenty-eight days of inactivity, the final two days of the window, there seems to be some transfer deals being done or about to be done. One of which. We're going to talk about Anthony Gordon signing for Newcastle, a player that Marley, Newcastle fan, said he didn't want a couple of weeks back. He's now done the deal, 45 million quid, well, 40 million quid, 5 million pounds in add-ons. How are you feeling about it now, Marley? Are you happier? Yeah, it's um, it's happened, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's happened. Uh, I hoped it, honestly, I, I can't go back on, on what I said. Um I think I a few weeks ago, well, probably a couple of months ago now, I put him in the sea because I thought he was the most irritating player I've. Well, this was after player. the scrap, right? He had he had a scrap with Kieran Trippier and Callum Wilson, I think, wasn't it? Uh, it was no, it was so. What happened was he he dived um, under contact from Dan Byrne, and then Trippier said like Trippier went over to him and said like, "Why are you diving?" or something like that, and then. You can see, I mean, it's everywhere. It's all over Twitter, you know, um, this this little clip of Gordon saying, get out my effing face, get out my effing face, what do you think you're doing? And then Fabian Cher comes and shoves him in the next week um, and he, he quickly gets put in his place. And obviously, from that from that sort of moment, you're just thinking, what does this kid do? Like, what what are, what are people seeing him? Because he, he doesn't produce... Goals, assists. I think he's, he averages one goal every ten games. He averages, I think it's six uh, six yellow cards he's got this season, um, which is staggering for a winger. Um, and yeah, it's, it's is happened. That part, to, is that lack of output partly to do with the fact he's playing in an incredibly poor Everton team? And part of the investment for Newcastle here is is the potential they see that he has. Mm, uh, we we've got to hope so because I've got no no sort of. Uh, Doubt that there is talent there, because he's played for England under twenty ones. He's came through the 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 youth teams pretty quickly, um, and he's only twenty one years old. He's you know he's uh, he's a fixture in the team sort of thing, but he hasn't massively shown it yet. Mm. Um, so f- when when you're watching Everton, yes, they're a poor side, and and you see him diving and making bad decisions. I think the last the last we've seen of of Gordon was uh, him barreling into. James Ward-Prowse um, to give away the free kick that Southampton scored from. Uh, sorry, Che Adams, and then Ward-Prowse scores the free kick. So his game management needs work. He, he needs a lot of coaching, basically. Um, I can't go back and say now that I'm I'm buzzing to have him at Newcastle. I'd rather we signed, put that 40 million quid into someone else. Um, but it is what it is now of... And we've uh, we've got him, so I've got to hope that his talent comes through rather than his attitude, because he's already started on the back foot with Newcastle fans. You know, we he's it's not a um, a massively popular signing. Like when we signed Bruno, for example, everyone was just buzzing because Brazilian guy, twenty four years old, mm. you know, coming into his prime, had done it at Leon, had done it in Brazil, was in the Brazil team. Then we pay more money for a winger who's done. 10% as much in his career so far. Um, we've got to hope that the, the coaching um, gets something out of him and, and we keep that horrible side um, in and contained because there's this thing like Eddie Howe said last week, like we're not here to be liked, we're here to, to compete. And I, I I love that as a quote, but then we signed the biggest ball bag in the league. Everyone loves a bastard as long as it's your bastard. That's mm-hmm. the thing, isn't That's, it? That a lot of people said about Craig when we signed Craig Bellamy back in like the early two thousands. You know, um, he had he had a bad attitude, but he was coached into a very very good player by Bobby Robson. Until what happened at the end? Big kickoff, big fight. Bellamy goes to uh, can't even remember where he went now. Um, binned him off somewhere. Came to Aston, wasn't it? He was it Ham. you? I'm sure, he came to West Ham after. Was it Celtic? Castle. I don't know. Was it Celtic? Anyway, it doesn't irrelevant. Either way, it was a fight, and it ended like that. So. I'm hoping it goes better for Gordon. Hopefully, he can he can produce something pretty quickly because there will be people waiting to just say, "Look, this was a bad, yeah, yeah. this was a bad investment, and we should never have done it." But yeah, I'm not. Uh, it's the first time I've doubted one of the signings that we've made as as the new ownership uh, regime is there. John Joshelvi 
on his way out to make room in the dressing room. He looks like he's off to Forest. It's not really unexpected, is it? Because there's Newcastle after it. With utmost respect to John Joe Shelby, he's been a brilliant servant to Newcastle, but mm. you're looking at different levels now. Yeah, but I do still think Shelby gets plenty of games when he's fit. I think this the, the transfer window and his return to fitness has coincided at, at a pretty bad time for him because... I think if uh, if he'd got back fit in September, October, he'd have been in the team for the last couple of months. He, he is still a part of, of what we do. He's still probably the best passer. Well, him and him and Bruno are the are the, are the playmakers in that team. Um, but we need we need a holder. We need someone to sit in the middle of our midfield now and just tackle and, mm. and play it simple, like a like a Declan Rice style figure, you know. Um, but. Yeah, it came at the wrong time, and obviously, if, if you are a footballer, Nottingham Forest will try and sign you. So <laughs> it's only a matter of time before that happens, and, and that's that's what it is now. So or Chelsea, um, yeah. If you're really good, Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. If you're, you're okay, so Nottingham <laughs> Forest. Um, but it, it's yeah. I mean, it's a good move for him, I think, because he's getting paid more money apparently, um, and he's uh, he's probably his long term future, as you say. You know, we're. we're trying to fish in a different pond now mm. we're probably not going to even if Shelby was back in the team like I said he would be how how much of this next two and a half years is he going to be in the team and that's probably something that even he would go you know what they're going to move on they're going to sign another Bruno in, in the summer and they're going to sign another Isak for 60 million but in my position so that's probably where it's come from and probably expect that to go through I think it's really interesting. The most interesting thing about the Gordon transfer isn't necessarily what he has the potential to do at Newcastle. It's Everton's current strategy and what they're trying to do. It, obviously, Gordon wanted to leave, mm. but they are so bad at scoring goals and creating chances at the moment. They're letting one of their attacking players go for £20 million less than they wanted just six months ago. Yeah, It doesn't well, look good on the club in any way whatsoever. Today, they're being linked with a, a 20-year-old winger from, from uh, I think it's Wren. Um, and it's like he's twenty. Mm. He's twenty, and he's spending thirty million of the forty you've got. Forty is an up lump, up front lump sum, by the way. Like that's one of the biggest wins they've got from this deal. They've got money to go and spend now, and they're talking about a thirty million on a twenty-year-old winger to save you. I don't, I don't get it. Mm. Go, you know, I've seen one of the Everton podcasts on the network the, the the other week saying like we should sign Cody on a permanent because it's still a loan. Apparently the fee is four and a half million. Go and do that, make it permanent, free up the loan spell, loan um, slot for another Premier League player that you can go and get. There's bound to be Premier League players who would take a six-month loan at Everton for the next yeah. uh, the second half of the season. So just go and do that and then sp- spend where you can. You know, Maybe go and spend where you can, but buy experience. Don't go and... You can't go, to go and take chances mm. on 20-year-old wingers who might be good in three years. It's not... It's just madness. Makes too much sense that for it to be something that would be done by Everton. Yeah. Makes too much sense. Well, the biggest honestly, the biggest thing that made me laugh about Everton in this last week was was a tweet I seen last week. Um and it said that if Marcelo Bielsa is your first choice for a manager and Sean Dyche is your second choice, it's a <laughs> it's a bit of a clue that you have no idea what <laughs> yeah. you're doing. Yeah. You can't get two managers more different. You know, they've gone for Bielsa and he said, give me 12 million and I'll manage your under 21. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my days. Bonkers. Right, let's move on. Oh, let me stop that. Uh, let's move on to something you touched on already, Joel. Right, let's move on to something you've touched on already, Joel, and it's Brighton who have rejected a second offer, 65 million quid plus 5 million in add-ons from Arsenal for the 21-year-old Ecuador midfielder, Messias Casido, The Athletic reporting that, amongst other publications. He was left out of the FA Cup team, as we discussed already. Writing on the wall, do you think he's going to be an Arsenal player, particularly with Thomas Partey now being injured in that Man City game? They kind of need, Arsenal need the player and Casido, he wants to go by all accounts. I don't think Arsenal need to go all 100% into this, to be honest. I think they need to be careful not to get dragged into something where they're massively, massively overpaying. I do think that they nef- I do think that they need backup for Partey because like we've just seen against City, he is very, very injury prone. But Brighton are firmly in the driving seat here, which is that they don't need to sell him. For the money, they're absolutely fine. 
He's got a long contract, so they don't have a risk of losing him for a cut fee in the summer. They are perfectly in the driving seat. And unless Arsenal come up with an absolutely insane offer, I've heard it's somewhere like a 90 to 100 million valuation, Oof. which they are, you know what, they are, it's not like he's worth that, but to Brighton, for the extent of which they go and do their recruitment and they have to lose a player near to deadline day, I would say it's probably about right. Because you can't be picking off smaller teams who are trying to better themselves in the league and try and go for Europe without having to pay compensation for that. That's what it accounts for, that kind of fee. And so for Arsenal, I just think for that price, there's better options for them out there. It's just the fact that they are, I think, clamouring around. Now that they thought that they were going to get Mudrich for around that fee, it seems like they're trying to allocate those funds quickly to different areas. Like, you know, for example, uh, Trossard, I don't think he was initially in the plans until Mm -hmm. Mudrich went to Chelsea. And now they're almost trying to figure out how to slot around this 80 million they've clearly got in their budget for someone else. Burning a hole in their pocket sort of thing. Yeah, literally. And now they're being forced, they're having the pants down because clubs can afford to do that to them. Mm. And I think for Arsenal, they should do what they did with the Mudrick deal, which is be wise. Set themselves a limit, 70 million. If you're not going to take that, which in any other market, I think that would have been massively fair for him. If they're not going to accept that, I think just walk away. Mm. I think, could, could you not... Like if I was Arsenal now, I'd play this kind of clever, get in a bidding war with Chelsea, if they are interested in Caicedo, let them get him and then go for Declan Rice in the summer. No, nope. I think he'd be better suited. <laughs> I think he'd be better suited. I can't even lie. What? To Declan Arsenal? Rice, yeah. I think Arsenal's main I think he's massively is Declan suited. Rice this yeah. summer, though, isn't it? Whether Caicedo comes or not, I think they've still got an interest in Declan Rice. But I mean, that would burn an 80, 90 million hole on Caicedo, which is, he's only been there for a year. I how mean, Declan Rice is a bit more sure fit. Yeah. Mm. How much would Rice go for in the summer with what? How long on his contract? Maybe another year. I think it's got Once two it gets years to the summer, left. is it a year or is no, it two years? He signed a new contract relatively recently. Did he? Right. So you're probably talking similar fee then. 80, 90 million. Well, isn't surely it? it's got to be Caicedo mm. or Rice. It can't be both. Can't be both. Unless they've got some windfall we don't know about. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about Chelsea, who are yet again trying to buy every single player under the sun. They're currently talking with Benfica. They want to sign the Argentinian midfielder Enzo Fernandez, who's 22. He wants to do it before Tuesday. There's rumours it might go over to the summer, but they want to get it wrapped up before tomorrow. This is according to The Telegraph. What are Chelsea doing? What's the strategy? How are they affording it? And is Fernandez a kind of player that they actually need a Fernandez? At least he's not another kind of technical tricky forward. Oh, God. I have no idea, to be honest. It's like supermarket sweep, I think, at Chelsea at the minute. You know, the only thing that's missing is Rylan Clark turning up as host or Dale Winton coming back from the dead to... Uh, <laughs> to, to <laughs> You know, bin off a uh, inflatable banana worth fifty quid. So, I don't know. It's very, very, just, just everything in it. Like, yeah, we'll have him. Yeah, we'll have him. Yeah, we'll have him. What's FFP? I'll oh, worry about it later. It's like what twenty-three year contract. <laughs> <laughs> we'll sign you for life. <laughs> I mean, they're gonna force the rule to come in now. I think that you can only that that, that there's a maximum contract length. For players, that's mm. what Chelsea are going to do with all this spending because Fafana's on a seven and a half year. Um, or you can only deal. spread the fee over the first five years or yeah. something like that. Some, yeah, they'll cause something, some sort of knock on effect of, of this. So it's I don't a bit know. too late, isn't it? They've done all the business now. They <laughs> They've have, only signed yeah. about 20 players on that uh, kind of yeah. loophole. Yeah, they might as well speed up and give give more out because, yeah, it's uh, it's, working. it's yeah, they're, they're going to be the ones that are. The last over the bridge before the drawbridge comes up, sort of thing. So, yeah, it's um, I don't see how he's worth that much. I don't see how Caicedo's worth that much. I don't see how uh, um, anyone's worth that much, if I'm honest. But that's football, in it. That's, mm. that's the market is completely ruined now. It's. I wish we could get it back to a normal. Man, thirty million a normal was massive. Level. Yeah, <laughs> that was great. Those you, days. Could, you could get the world's best players for thirty yeah, million, yeah, yeah, couldn't yeah. you? But you you can't even get a squad player for thirty million now. It's. Uh, Silly, but that's Chelsea for you. There's an article in this quarter's Mundial magazine written by our friend Johnny Sharples, and he's talking about his time playing football manager, and he's spent like over 100 is years. Is he? That's 100. not like Johnny Sharples, <laughs> is it? It's his thing, right? Thank and you. he talks about how over the 100 years he's been playing it, what the maximum transfer value was because mm. f- football manager does a good job at kind of predicting what football is going to be like and what's going to happen in inflation and the maximum transfer so the highest ever transfer value of a player in football manager was like 40 million quid <laughs> and it stopped there 
and we are well above that now. Paul Pogba's biggest transfer apparently in the game he was playing as well was nine million when he went from Juventus to Valencia. I think so don't get everything right football manager final transfer deal speaking of football manager-esque transfers Tottenham who are working to sign Birmingham City's 17 year old English midfielder Job Bellingham that's Job that's such Bellingham. a Tottenham transfer is it <laughs> he is the brother of Dortmund's Jude Bellingham obviously is this Daniel Levy just trying to pull a fast one and hoping that Conte and the fans don't notice they've got Job Bellingham instead of Jude <laughs> Bellingham. We're trying to get him around the room. Oh, look, we've got Bellingham. I do believe in the club. I am going to invest. That is such a Tottenham transfer, isn't it? Of literally just having to take second best, trying to take a punt on a guy's brother. You may as well get Kylian Mbappe's brother because he's just started out at Paris Saint-Germain and just make a whole <laughs> yeah, team is. of potential. Um like a um, team of regens speaking yeah, of computer literally, games. Literally, like, get Zidane's son who's in yeah. net like get them all in just Enzo. bring them up. Enzo, Enzo and Luca Enzo, Zidane get them all in Kai Rooney son, get signed up Kai Rooney Ronaldo's um, son will turn up all sorts of stuff Ronaldo Junior everyone um, I mean with Job he's clearly not going to reach the heights that Jude has reached he's meant to be good though he's good but I mean Jude was super fast tracked into that Birmingham side I think he was one of the best players at 17 that's because they were terrible though as well true but he's played 14 matches this season and he's only 17 so I mean it's a similar trajectory I would Mm. say for a 17 year old to play that many games in the first team is is impressive isn't it so I mean they're obviously going on the genetic factor here more than anything if this was a completely unrelated 17 year old I don't think they would be sniffing around this much but if it's potential I mean why not invest that amount into it because he probably will become Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.